Hello, everyone, and welcome to this conversation with myself, Cindy Silva, and my dear friend and colleague, Josephine Lang. So happy that you're tuning in, and we've been waiting a long time to have this conversation and share it with you. I've invited Josephine to come and talk about conscious awakening. It seems to be a topic of great interest because a lot of us are experiencing that in our lives. I'll share a little bit about Josephine for those that might be new to Josephine. Josephine has been a clairvoyant healer for more than 25 years. And during that time, she's helped thousands of people from around the world to heal from hard to diagnose and chronic health issues. She has the astute ability to make holistic suggestions that can assist with regaining the balance of health. As well as being a clairvoyant healer, Josephine is a writer, artist, teacher, and spiritual mentor for hundreds of people who treasure her insights, courage, and love. Josephine lives south of Big Sur on the California coast with her husband of 40 years, Frank. She offers regular seminars and classes to help people more fully step into the magic of their lives. And she's also been helping people do that by hosting a radio show for the past I want to say six years now, but it may be uh, you can help me out with that exact I number, so. Josephine. That's right. On the Wind Network. <laughs> yeah. So to find out more about Josephine as you're tuning into the interview, you can visit her website, stepintomagic.com, and you can also learn more about her weekly radio show at worldclasswind.com. And so thank you, Josephine, for accepting the invitation to be with me today, reconnect, and to share what's been happening in our lives with those that have been friends in our community for a long time and those that might be new. We welcome everyone. And, yeah, let's have you chime in and just share where you're at today and what you're tracking and what's exciting and alive for you. Thank you, Cindy. Well, it's so nice to be here. I'm just delighted to be talking with you today. And, uh, yeah, what is bringing me joy right now is um, this moment right here, the present moment, which is always a moment in which we can choose how we want to be, how we want to think. Um, I'm always so impressed by the amazing work of Viktor Frankl and his astounding book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, where, you know, he was, uh, he had that, incredible experience in the concentration camps and he felt that the last freedom that he had was the freedom of his own mind and that was the freedom that he was not going to let anyone take from him and to me that is such a profound lesson for all of us we have the ability to choose in any given moment our internal climate of mind and that can really direct and uh, focus our lives in amazing ways. That's what I think conscious awakening is really all about, is about knowing who we are and what who what we want to do with our lives, how we want to hold our focus, what we want to see manifest in our lives. And we are very creative beings, and as we hold those thoughts, those creative thoughts, consciously, we really do create a different life experience for ourselves. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me of the work of David Hawkins in 
he talks about how the the mind operates at about 400 hertz and the body at about 100. So anything that we are holding in our mind as a thought is impressing upon the body four times the uh, the rate of um, impact. So the body is a manifestation of the mind and it's hard for the body to resist the projections of the mind. So I feel that bringing that up is really appropriate in the sense that you're, being, you're a clairvoyant healer, you work with people's health, and to really have an awareness of the impact of our mind and our thinking uh, on our body because our health is our wealth. And I know you speak a lot to that, and I, I think it all starts there Like to, because I've had some personal issues with that and have been going through my own experience of learning the impact of my thoughts on my body. I want to bring that part in because that's what's ringing true for me in what you just said. Yeah, and, you know, on the world view, so often there is so much of a focus on the bad news and what's going wrong, and it's hard for us not to um, focus there because the group mind, for one thing, is there. A lot of people are thinking of those horrific events and bad news things that have happened, you know, be it, oh, shootings or, you know, in the schools or in public arenas or fires devastating communities and whatnot. And uh, for one thing, I think that the human mind was really never meant to process such a large amount of news um, involving so many people, the global world scene. I think it's a great blessing that we can. But I also think that, you know, if we look at our our roots, we've tended to live in smaller human groups, villages, that, that sort of a size perspective. And I think that our bodies are naturally able to readily contain and hold and process the good and bad news of a small group of people, several hundred to maybe several thousand or 30 or 40 people. Smaller groups of news, I think, is much easier for us to process. But when we have big news on the world scene, there's a lot that we can perseverate on. And I think that sometimes that bad news of the world, it's a little, one of the ways that I like to look at it is it's almost like the contractions of uh, birth when a person is either birthing a child or, or bringing forth a child. There is some risky stuff there. I mean, we could die. Either the mother could die, or the child could die, or both could live. And so I kind of look at that transition, and I sort of see that as our conscious awakening right now, too. You know, the um, the idea that that we can break through into that beauty, into that new being, into that new conscious awareness that we could have. And um, some of the ways that I think that that happens, and, and it's sort of like seeing for the first time. I mean, when a baby is born... There's all that change that happens. You know, the the heart actually kicks into gear. The breath begins. The All sorts of things occur. And so we leave one environment and move into the next. And we experience our life. And the same thing happens when we move into death. We leave one environment and experience the next for our state of consciousness. And I think that consciousness is present with us throughout our life journeys. I myself happen to live in a, what I call a reincarnational reality. 
So I do believe in the um, continuation of consciousness from lifetime to lifetime. And part of the reason why I do that is because uh, in my early experience in my family, my father was a reincarnational child. He was one of those children who could remember his previous lifetime. And he remembered, um, he also exhibited xenoglossy, the ability to speak in a language that he's not had any exposure to. And this happens in some of these reincarnational children, the children that remember their past lives quite clearly. And they usually do that right when they are first speaking, you know, the age two or three. Um, It's usually been long forgotten by the time they're five or six. But my grandmother happened to know a little bit of uh, Hindi, and so she recognized some of his words as being Hindu words. And then she asked him for the stories of his past life, and so he shared them with her. And so because of that experience in my family history and in the family stories, I do actually believe in and feel that we do have a continuation of consciousness. And so our consciousness, when we are born into our lives, is like a great awakening. And the same when we are, you could almost call it, born into our deaths is also like a great awakening. And I do feel that humanity right now is at one of those transition states where things are looking kind of grim. I mean, we've got global warming, we've got environmental concerns, we've got loss of soil, we've got the melting ice caps, we've got you know things in the political scene that are, are just going crazy, and we're like, whoa, what is happening? And I think that it's the, the pressure that is mounting just before the birth or the new awakening occurs. And I think that one of the main keys for how we can successfully make this transition is to hold our focus on our joy and on what we desire and on what we and it's more than just what we desire it's what thrills us it's like our deepest darkest secret of what we would really love our lives to be and i think that we get an an a glimpse of this in childhood we there's a little window that opens where we can see who and what we'd like to be for my own part i remember when i was 15 or 16 i came across a Aviva magazine, and there was an article in there on the metaphysical properties of gemstones. And I thought, wow, look at this. You mean rose quartz increases the love in your life, and and sodalite helps you to have more clairvoyant function, and oh my gosh, rutilated quartz, what in the world is that? And that helps develop your psychic ability. And I was so thrilled with this article that I actually tore it out of the magazine, which is something that... You know, as a child, I was told you never deface a book. You never, you know, the printed word is God. And and so I tore it out and I saved it and came across it years and years later. And, of course, in my own life, part of how um, I stepped into the magic of my life was through uh, an experience with finding and actually, you know, years later, long having forgotten, finding a rutilated quartz crystal ball and sitting with that rock in my lap and, and just holding it and feeling the little bits of energy coming from it that I could feel. And we know that quartz crystals hold and retain and send energy. The early explorations into radio waves, of course, involved quartz crystals. And and so, um, you know, we never know what our path is, but we can trust whatever it is that is that deep joy that is sometimes often so secret and private that that is what can head us in the right direction. I like to say that we can let our joy be the compass for our lives. 
Our joy can help direct us, just like a compass would, to true north, to where we need to go. Mm. Well, I think Joseph Campbell would agree. <laughs> yes, indeed. Follow your bliss. <laughs> yes. And there are yeah. so many so many ways of saying it. And Peace Pilgrim, who is one of my other mentors, has a, a wonderful way of putting it, you know, where she encourages us to uh, do what we love, you know, to stay in that place of of, uh, of what really thrills us and creating lives of joy. Yeah, so um, I think that as we make this transition into uh, our new human consciousness and our conscious awakening, and I also feel that our human consciousness is not just us, it's the consciousness of the whole. I mean, all of the great spiritual teachings of the world teach us that we are all one. And yet we kind of seem to have a hard time grasping that because we are taught in our schools that competition is good and that we should try to excel over others and um, instead of cooperating and working together. And we know that some of the greatest world's problems have been overcome when we do cooperate, when we do sort of band together against an external problem as opposed to, you know, sort of competing with each other for that ego-based, I'm better than you sort of position. And that brings me to another topic, which I think is very important on this topic of conscious awakening. Um, not only are we one, where I think that what's good for one is is going to be good for the whole. I mean, as we step forward into the truth of our lives, letting go of our addictions and those seductions that so often come up um, in our lifetimes. If we can step forward into the, the the truth of who we really are and find our deep joy and, and move ahead like that, it sort of seems to me that we create the oneness of, I like to kind of refer to it as the, the jigsaw puzzle piece of life, so my true joy might be one little part, you know, I'm maybe the corner, the edge of the barn with a little bit of the tree in the sky behind, but somebody else's piece has got the, you know, the nose of the horse and the, the or somebody else has a bit of the wagon in this great farm scene of a jigsaw puzzle. And so we all need to just be truly who we are in order to fit into the whole grander scheme. And that whole grander scheme involves the consciousness of the entire universe, I feel. Not only is it humanity, the one I am one cell in the body of humanity, but also humanity is one cell in the body of life on earth. And life on earth is just one cell in the body of consciousness throughout the galaxy. And sometimes I think of the whole galaxy as, you know, having a consciousness itself. Maybe the the spiraling arms of the galaxy are like our arms reaching out into the universe. And so I don't think we have to stop with consciousness just with ourselves, but honoring that we are a part of that whole divinity, um, like the drop of water in the ocean of consciousness. And um, sometimes I think that as we, you know, our human awareness here on Earth, um, you know, we can, we're back to some of that, you know, bad news ideas, there's that image of the caterpillar transforming into the butterfly. And, you know, the caterpillar, before, as it is growing, it eats something like, you know, five or six times its body weight every day. 
And if you see a caterpillar on a plant, like perhaps on a fennel or an anise plant, the baby caterpillar starts out innocently enough just eating a little bit, but by the time it reaches its maturity, that plant has been denuded. Almost all the leaves are gone. And I've heard it said that we Americans here consume such a tremendous amount of resources that if everybody on the planet used resources like we Americans do, it would require five planets to be able to meet our needs. And if we are looking at ourselves in terms of like the caterpillar's body, here we are, we've practically denuded the plant. And yet, then we go into our chrysalis stage, our where the deep transformation occurs. And in the caterpillar's body, it's very interesting what happens. These rogue cells appear, and they are called um, transitional cells, I think. or trans- I'm forgetting the name right now, but it's something like transitional cells. And these rogue cells appear, and they are attacked by the caterpillar's immune system. But they keep reappearing, and pretty soon the caterpillar's immune system is overcome. And that's when the butterfly begins to form in the chrysalis. And then out of that caterpillar body comes this great beauty of the butterfly, a completely different being. And so with that in mind, I can't help but thinking that divine hand is present in everything. And so even in our American you know, gluttonous ways, that perhaps there is coming this great transformation of human conscious awareness into... Um, a more beautiful transition like the birth or like our moving into death that we begin to see with greater clarity that we begin to move into practices like holding our focus on desired outcomes. And that's one of the things, it's another story that has really impressed me is that of... um, Uh, Conrad Hilton, who started Hilton Hotels, he began with the very humble beginnings as a bellhop. And yet he knew that one day he would own hotels. And he just focused on that, and of course that became his reality. And that was what his joy was. That was what he wanted to do, what his secret little imagination of, you know, that little hidden garden of success that he held in his heart of hearts. And um, I sometimes think of how the mature Conrad Hilton must have looked back fondly on himself when he was just a young man and how all of the choices that he made and the difficult hurdles and obstacles that he overcame in his life, how they helped him to become the successful hotel owner that he became. And thinking of the young Conrad Hilton, looking ahead to that time when he would own those hotels. And this is just a you know a funny little example uh, that is that we can wrap our minds around. But we do know that the future can affect the past. There have been multiple um, tests that have been done, experiments that have been done. There was, I was just reading in a book called Real Magic by Dean Radden about a, um, uh, a psychologist named, a well-respected academic psychologist named Daryl Bem, And he uh, published in the peer-reviewed Journal of Personal and Social Psychology uh, results from his tests that showed that present-time behaviors can uh, be influenced by future events. And his experiments were then replicated independently 90 times in 33 laboratories in 14 different countries around the world. 
And and that's not all. We've got you know hundreds of experiments on precognition or a foreknowing that have been successfully conducted and have had their results published since 1935. And yet, interestingly enough, psychic ability and precognition and the ability of the future to affect the past are still considered taboo in our Western mindset. We just don't believe them. But yet there is the evidence. It's so ample, and it's with impeccable scientific research. So I think that when sometimes we hold to old ideas, as in these persistent attempts to discredit these kind of findings, and we vehemently deny them until suddenly they are overwhelmingly accepted, and then we move forward. And I think that's that's where we are right now in our human conscious awareness, is we are still denying that birth that's about to happen. And we do that with death, too. We often fight with tooth and nail and deny the potential that is lying right there in front of us. And so <clears throat> I think that um, that we're there. I think we're right at that transition place right now where we can jump into a new awareness and really create changes for not only, only all of humanity but for all of life on Earth as well. Mm, I like it. And it was when you were speaking about the caterpillar and the cells, the imaginal cells is how I've yeah, learned to. Um, yeah. yeah. And so as you're speaking about jumping in to that next version of ourself as a, a consciously awake humanity, there are a group of imaginal cells, those people that are attracted to conversations like this, that are vibrating at a certain hum, that are... Um, seeing through the illusion um, and really aligning with their joy and their bliss to bring something forward in service to the whole to make that transition. So as the imaginal cells gather, it grabs hold of a larger impact uh, and resonance that uh, becomes more and more attractive as a collective field. And the, the magnetism of that starts to attract those that are even pinging a little bit in that direction can start to feel it because the field is more alive with that potential and anything in the blueprint of our own unique design and creation that tracks that and recognizes it gets drawn into it naturally like the, the bile flow and nature really wants to optimize us to our fullest potential. That's really its modus operandi. And so when we can do our part to align with our bliss and stay in that frequency, we're in alignment with the greater intention of the whole, which is to optimize all systems to their highest potential. Yes, that's very well said. And I, I, and thank you. Yes, the imaginal cells, and you know sometimes we can get kind of lost in in the more negative or the seductive or the fear-filled, um, or depression that sort of thing. But we can actually take ourselves and make a choice to think differently and to hold differently in our body minds. And one example of that that I've heard is like mm, there was a. Uh, a man that I knew who has done quite a lot of work with consciousness, he and his wife, Kathleen and Gay Hendricks. And he was talking about how he had real serious problems with depression. And then he just realized that if he would just 
do something nice for someone else. It helped him tremendously with overcoming his depression. Even if it was as simple as he lived in an apartment complex and he you know, shared a stairway with a couple of entries and if he swept the whole entry instead of just his and swept the whole stairway, that it was a gift that he was giving to his neighbor and his neighbor loved coming home to a clean swept stairway and it felt good to give. And we actually get more um, feel-good hormones out of our brain and our internal body chemistry from giving than we do from receiving. And that was another thing that Peace Pilgrim advised. She said, you know, let your life focus be on giving, giving, giving. So long as we are living to get, we're never going to be as happy as if we're giving. And so, you know, whatever it is that your joy personally brings, like Conrad Hilton, providing wonderful hotels for people where they feel welcome when they walk in, it, it was giving to them, and also he was receiving because we enter into the great spiritual law of giving and receiving when we do. When we give, we can't help but receive. And so moving ahead in those ways, I think, is good. And then also with our conscious awakening, you know, there have been the three great taboos that you mentioned, Joseph, Joseph Campbell earlier, who I, I think has been a great help for all of us in our spiritual and conscious awakening. And <clears throat> he spoke of the three taboos of, um, in the 60s we had the sexual taboo, which we had the sexual revolution, and free love. And free love was not about, you know, just having love making with anybody you chose. It was about being free to choose who you wanted to <laughs> make love with, as opposed to, you know, say, earlier ideas of arranged marriages or only marrying somebody who meets the parents' approval or whatever. It was about being free to love who you wanted to love and to love what you wanted to love. And then in the 90s, we moved into that other taboo, the taboo of death, death as the enemy, as opposed to death as a, another stage of consciousness and a natural part of life and a part of living and a part of the continuity of consciousness. And now, of course, we're on the verge of entering into the third and final taboo, that of our finances. And here, especially in America, you know, we so often our best friends won't even know what our financial situation is. And we keep it very quiet. And if you can get fired from a job if you share what your financial situation is as opposed to your coworker. And, of course, this is a great separator. And we want to move beyond those things that separate ourselves into things that create our oneness. So I'm, I'm very pleased about the women's soccer team standing up and cheering, you know, equal equal pay. Um, because that's what we need to do. We need to realize that all service is worthy. Uh, for years in our culture, you know, caregivers and mothers and people who are doing the really important work of tending to life have not been received any kind of compensation, adequate pay for their their work that they've done. So I think that this is another area where our consciousness is currently rising and where we're about to make a leap. And then that brings me to the topic of women in leadership because so often in our culture and in many of the cultures throughout the world, women have been viewed as substandard individuals. I know that the family that I grew up in was a traditional patriarchal family where my, uh, and it was a lovely family. My mother was there to serve my father in his business and in his work. And um, she died very young, and I think that part of that was an unfulfilled life where 
she didn't really ever get to lead and live the life truly the way that she would have chosen. I mean, there were many aspects to her life that she did. She loved bringing children into the world, and she loved music, but those things were all put on the back burner for the higher ideal of serving in my father's world. And I think that it's time that we all rise to our individual abilities. So I know that the um, early founding documents of this nation were based on some of the teachings of the Iroquois, where uh, they were attributed to different chiefs of names that were unfamiliar to the Western mind. And so they were just assumed that those chiefs were men, but actually many of those chiefs were women. And so taking a look at our basic roots with the intentionality there, there's a lot of beautiful blessings that lie there. And so I don't think we need to change everything, but we can certainly make some small changes like embracing women in leadership positions. And fortunately, we've begun to do that with the 1970s, bringing forth women's liberation and um you know gay rights and all sorts of changes have happened in our culture that have set us up for uh, a beautiful future should we look at it that way and so one of the exercises that i like to do and that i'd like to invite our listeners to do today is to think of yourself in the future as the successful self that you'd like to see having accomplished all the many things that you would love to see happen in your life just like the elder Conrad Hilton looking back at his younger self. Go ahead and look back on yourself now with the hurdles and things that you have overcome from that mature perspective. And think of yourself fondly with that and how great you did and how you moved forward and ahead. And then also use your present self to think back to your child self and your younger self, your teenage self or your early 20s, or whatever age you might have been in the past, and look fondly on yourself in the past, and be proud of yourself for what you've done and how far you've come. And then as well, from our current self, we can look ahead to our future self and imagine that, who we are. And so allowing ourselves to influence ourselves, as the scientific research has shown, we can affect the past with our thoughts in the current or from the future we can affect the now. And so to just play with those ideas a little bit about allowing ourselves to do that because I think that um, that that helps us to move ahead with positive thoughts instead of giving way into those fearful and more seductive thoughts of negativity. And then with women in leadership positions, you know, I came across an... Um, an article that was written by a marine biologist some years ago. And in it she spoke about whales. She was studying the killer whale pods up in British Columbia in the Puget Sound. And she noticed that those were matrifocal groups, that the, the oldest female was the leader, usually with a trusted younger male by her side, usually one of her sons and that the elder female knew where the right fishing grounds were at the right time of year. And leadership, we know this from horses too, leadership is one through trust. Um, It's not a domination over the other. It's one because there is trusted leadership that is happening. And so in the horse groups, um, mares and stallions, it's the trusted mare and stallion that 
lead the group. They are the ones that have shown the best defenses and the best ability to find the right places and to move to the right places at the right time, to be able to graze properly and to um, protect the herd. And the same happens within the whale community, that this older female tends to be the leader. And, you know, we have patriarchy in our culture, which is patri, masculine, the father, archy, as like in a kingdom over, which is more of a triangular or pyramidal shape, top-down um, rulership. But in matri, there is no such thing actually in nature as a matriarchy. But there are matrifocal groups. And that is that it's more like the circle instead of the pyramid. And the matrifocal group, the dominant woman sits in a circle listening to and paying attention to all of the other voices. And it's not so much that she's dominant. That's not even the right word there. It's that the focus is on her because she's the one who has the largest amount of knowledge base and she's the one who has been the most trusted for being able to help. And so the same thing happened in the whale pods up in the Puget Sound. And she was mentioning, this woman biologist, that the same holds true for elephants, that in the elephant communities, that's also a matrifocal group where there are, and they call them a matriarch, but that's really probably not the right term. It's more matrifocal than archal. And um, she was saying, and she had noticed, that both of those species, whales, and elephants live long beyond reproductive time. The females live long beyond reproductive time. And so they also go through what we humans go through, a menopause. Now, that's not true for most of the species of the world. You know, cats and dogs, the females can continue to reproduce right up until the time of death, well into old age, horses, fish, birds. But in these three groups, these three groups of species of mammals, whales, elephants, and humans, we live long beyond our reproductive years. And myself, having gone through my own menopause time, I noticed that during that time, and I'm very glad to say I had a symptom-free menopause, I had dropped caffeine, chocolate, coffee, alcohol out of my life and let, let, have led, just because of need and desire, a relatively toxin-free life, eating organic, that sort of thing. I think that has big influences on our environmental preferences of those natures, have big influences on our lives as well. They really help us to um, to move through changes and transitions in a much more gentle way. And so, And menopause is not a disease. It's a natural process. It's the process of letting go of fertility. And in these three species groups, the elephants, whales, and, and humans, we do live long beyond reproductive time. And in elephants and whales, of course, the females are the leaders. And in the world that I grew up in, the females were not the leaders. All of our leaders in government have all been masculine. And I think that it's time that we begin to embrace a shift of that nature to allow the females to be liver, leaders. And I like the idea of more in the circle of awareness, listening to all voices, male and female, inequality, because we don't want to dominate over anybody. I think we want to let everybody be who they truly are, to ask those questions, who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Why am I here? What am I doing? Those are important questions for us all to ask as individuals. And 
in the circle of equality, we are more free to do that than we are in the hierarchical view of life and governance. And so I am really excited about women stepping up to things like equal pay because with that we have a better chance at sitting in equality in the circle of life and a better chance of rising into natural leadership positions through our experience and through our knowledge of what is going to serve. And that brings me to another point that I'd like to make, which is that when we are growing our awareness, which we do through all sorts of beautiful right brain encouraging practices like meditation and dream recall and spending time alone in a sanctuary where we can really come to know who we are, Um, and prayer. When we are practicing those right brain encouraging, what I like to call the cornerstones of development of our self-actualized self or our true self or our ability to find our joy in our life, on a basis of self-love, loving ourselves enough to be able to give ourselves what we truly love in life. When we are practicing those, we really begin to grow our awareness. We become aware of who we are and what we'd like to do and how what brings us our joy and how we can stay in it and how we want to think and who feeds our soul and who doesn't feed our soul and who we want to spend time with. I love that saying by Rumi, be with those who help your being. I think that's a very important principle in life. And so um, as we are developing our our right brain skills, we increase our awareness. Now, unfortunately, so often what happens when we increase our awareness is we sort of do the the hermit thing, the wise person alone in the cave. And we we don't want to tout our egos. We don't want to stand up and toot our horn. And then we're not so suited for leadership if we're being quiet and humble and full of humility. And being quiet and humble and full of humility can be good at times too, but there come a time when we need to sort of stand up and rise up and say, hey, you know what, I think I have a good idea here. And we so often put down the ego, we sort of whip that like, you know, get that ego down, you know. And the problem is, is if there's an ego that is developed without any awareness, boy, that's a real problem. That's sort of like what we've got in the White House right now. We don't really want that either. We don't want some, you know, one out there tooting their horn with nothing to say or no good direction for all of us to follow or no awareness of all the others or no awareness of our oneness. We don't really want to go there. What we'd really rather do is allow our awareness to rise in equality with our ego, to allow our ego to rise up in balance with our awareness. And so um, so often in our culture, so many things that we have been taught are wrong are actually right. And so many things that we've been taught are right can actually be wrong. So <laughs> we've been taught that ego is all bad and that competition is all good. <laughs> and I think kind of actually we maybe want to take a look at the opposites and and open our eyes and see from this new perspective of our human conscious awareness as it's awakening. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah, the balance is uh, something I've always tracked in my life is the 
origins of the I Ching, the essence of the message was the balancing of the yin and the yang, the strategic and active and the passive and receptive need to be all acknowledged and integrated and the sensitivity or the instinct, I think, is what you're referring to in this uh, leadership of the feminine or the yin energy of being able to track multiple directions and solutions is to be able to balance these extremes and um, know when we need to be soft and when we need to be firm and to not identify too strongly with being firm and avoid being soft because we see it as weak, but to be able to identify easily with each one of them and easily disidentify so that our identity isn't wrapped into one way of being but in a fluid state of addressing the need at hand with the right uh, tool, if you will, or resource. Yeah, very well said. And that Chinese thought there of yin and yang is so beautiful of how to really reach for balance. Mm-hmm. You know, that wonderful... Yeah, religion. I see it really emerging a lot in our culture. Even though it's it's an Eastern concept, it's inherently applies to every everything in life. And it's starting to seep into the consciousness of us in the West now because these teachings are 5,000 years old and they've stood the test of time and we're adopting things in a time now of crisis that are needed for our core stability so that we can migrate the the shifting that's occurring uh, from a place of being at the center, the calm center when things start falling apart I love a quote by Adi Ashanti. I think it, I don't know if I could uh, state it exactly, but it's something to the effect that enlightenment is a destructive process. And I I really use that word destructive in a non-judgmental way. It's neither good nor bad. Destruction is sometimes necessary in order for life to happen, like in order for the the chicken to be born from its egg state, there has to be a destruction of the shell. And so this idea of expansion, creation, and destruction as a balanced state reflecting the yin and yang in a natural evolutionary movement is something we haven't really embraced in the West is the yin aspect. We've been very yang-driven and strategically actively conditioned. And this concept of yin, the dying process, the winter, the dark, the going into the unknown, the unconscious, the dream state, the subconscious realm, the collective unconscious, these are scary places for people who have been conditioned to be controlling life and dominating resources and so forth. And so the the rising of the yin is is coming back into play in my sense of perspective to rebalance 
a relationship with death in a way that we don't see it as a negative thing but a natural part of life and to allow what must die to die in order for new life to emerge and the sustainability of our future on this planet as our host is what's really coming into the fore as a a critical need and time of our attention and care. Yes, and sometimes we do need to let go of the old in order to embrace the new. There is that um, thought of how doors one door you have to close one door before you open a, a new door, or mm-hmm. letting go of some of the old ways and patterns of being before we can really embrace the new patterns and ways of being. I sometimes use the phrase "crumble, crumble, crumble" because sometimes we have to let things that are old that no longer serve outmoded paradigms crumble away before we can step into the new. We have to leave the womb before we can step into life. And that transition can be challenging at times and scary. And we might not necessarily make it in the way that we might envision. And so, you know, all hands on deck and everyone holding the highest thoughts and seeing ourselves from our successful futures, moving forward into those ideas, I think can be very helpful. And, you know, there are the world's wisdom traditions, too, as well, um, as we were speaking about the yin and the yang and the dominant over and the receptive, I was thinking of Confucianism, where that religion is as a very interesting religion. It's not a focus on a relationship with divinity. It's a focus on relationships as we know them in our cultures. And so what they're looking at there is how is the relationship between one that holds a superior position to one that holds an inferior position? So older brother, younger brother, um, mother to son, um, father to daughter. Uh, How do we have a responsibility there as the one who is in the position of more experience or, quote, leadership, how do we hold the responsibility of caring for the younger one most preciously? And then the younger one holding the responsibility to see and to grow and to rise their awareness. And there you go, to be able to match. So what Confucianism focuses on is what is called what is known as tilt relationships, where there is a tilt, one is higher than the other. And r- helping that to reach the balance of equality so that there is more harmony in the world. And so just like that, you were mentioning East thought, Eastern thought coming into the West. Not only do we have Eastern thought coming in, but we have thought from all over the world, all of the different wisdom traditions, the different beautiful religions who have thousands of years of, of understanding of how we can move forward and move ahead. Um, can aid us as we make this transition into our human, our new human awareness and our new more yeah, global that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. that, that, that's the ancient traditions of 5,000 year old or, or more really transmitting teachings to a younger nation yes. is really 
a representation of that tilt you were talking about. Yes. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So, you know, we don't have to totally reinvent the wheel. There are many places that we can go to seek some of these wisdoms. And then as well, like you were mentioning with the yin, we can go within, which is my favorite resource. (laughs) And as I was mentioning, and I'd like to just elaborate a little more on that, the idea of self-love, loving ourselves enough to give ourselves a life that really is a life we'd love to live. And so practicing various steps of self-love, like thinking good thoughts when we find ourselves becoming overwhelmed with negative thinking, to have a good thought at the ready. And, of course, the HeartMath Institute has done some wonderful work in this regard, thinking of something beautiful like a puppy or a sunset or a flower blooming. Um, One of my favorite is to think of roses. I love roses and watching them grow and bloom. And that's just a very simple thing that I can sometimes interject into a pattern of negative thinking. But I can also be creative and think about what would I love to see in this outcome. Or um, being kind to ourselves, feeding ourselves well, nourishing ourselves, giving ourselves what we'd love in the world. Like maybe we'd like to just go out to the movies or one of the... (laughs) sort of simplest examples that I have of how I like to stay in my joy is let's say I'm doing the dishes and suddenly I find myself getting a little cranky and maybe I just have to go to the bathroom. You know, if I can just give myself a little break to go do whatever I need to do, I'll feel much better about it. And then I can return to the dishes with joy. So sometimes it can be as simple as something like that. Um, But giving ourselves what we'd love in the world is a really great idea. And it can be very simple like that. And then, as well, there are those four cornerstones that I mentioned before of dream interpretation and meditation and prayer and a sanctuary. And um, right now on my radio show, Step Into Magic, which you can find at stepintomagic.com, this month we're talking about sanctuary. And all of the previous months are in the archives and top menu of my website there. And so, um, if it's later than... June, which is the, I mean July, which is the month we're in right now. You can always go back and catch it there. But sanctuary is one of those beautifully important and under undervalued, I think, uh, attributes to spiritual development and to awakening our awareness, um, because we do need to spend time alone to pro- process our thoughts and move through our emotions and feel the feelings that we're feeling. Sometimes when I have a negative feeling coming up, rather than just changing the thought. I like to go into the feeling if I have time where I can just jump into my sanctuary, be that, you know, sitting in my car parked in a sunny place or um, a lovely place out in nature that I like to visit or in my healing room where I do my work as a clairvoyant healer. I'll just go in and feel the feeling and find out where it is in my body and kind of try to give it an image. Maybe, you know, it's a little thunderstorm about a recent event that has happened and I feel it like a little spiral and my chest to the left side or something and I'll just stay with it and just feel it and really allow myself not to distract myself by getting up and going some, getting something to eat or turning on a television show or going to talk with someone or calling someone on the phone I'll just feel it and stay with it and notice how it feels, Note, give it a color if it wants to have a color, give it a shape if it wants to have a shape and then 
notice if maybe after a minute or two it changes locations in my body. It might move over to my right wrist or down into my left hand or who knows where it might go and it might take on a different shape. It might seem to look like a little star or uh, some other spiral or uh, square or something like that. And I just stay with it for a while until all of a sudden it just sort of lifts. And that usually happens within a minute or two. I mean, I think the longest it's ever taken is about five minutes. And I I find that when after I have just let myself feel what I'm feeling, a new perspective usually pops into my mind. And then I just take hold of that perspective. Or else, if I'm having some feelings that I need to process, I'll process them in my sanctuary with my journaling. I'll write down all of what's bothering me. And then pretty soon I find myself turning towards more of the gratitude view and finding what the gems are that are in this situation, looking for the silver lining behind that cloud, or any other number of ways of processing in my sanctuary. I might do a personal private ceremony. I might light a candle and set out a beautiful cloth and place the candle on top of the cloth and maybe gather a little item from nature that reminds me of what I'm thinking about and what I want to encourage in my life or let go of in my life. And I might say some prayers and hold a little crystal while I say those prayers and just hold my intentions where I'd like to see them be. And then letting go with love, knowing, asking for this or something better, not holding too tight to my own little goals, which might be only from my own small little human perspective, but allowing a bigger, more universal picture to unfold um, with my intentions. And so sanctuary is a very important part of our spiritual path. And then as well, so is dream interpretation, allowing ourselves to use our clairvoyant center to lay there and simmer in the morning and catch our dreams or catch our waking thoughts. What is it that I'd really love to do with my day? And then giving that top priority in our day if we can. And listening to our dreams and paying attention to what they show us about what's in our subconscious mind or what's in our superconscious mind. Because our dream state is not it's different from our conscious mind. Our conscious mind, we think that's what we're using during the day, but we're only using it 5% of the time, shockingly enough. And so really being aware of what's in our subconscious mind is important. It's the dutiful servant that is creating our lives, and so being aware of what's there is really important, and studying dream interpretation is great, and that's what I did on the radio show last month. And then moving into meditation, allowing our minds to clear themselves, and there are so many wonderful meditations that we can do, and any meditation that you find is one that will serve. And whatever works for you. And then prayer, really opening ourselves up to our higher consciousness and ourselves. And I'm sort of shortcutting a little bit here because I'm aware of the time because I know we're getting near the end of our hour, Cindy. But um, I want to mm-hmm. just pause now and see what your thoughts are. Hmm. Well, I love that you reiterated these things of... Um I think I've heard you refer to them as the triple blessing. Yes, when we move ahead. Yeah, when we really embrace our inner work and those four cornerstones, we I consider that like building a house. So the foundation is self-love. The four cornerstones are dream interpretation, meditation, prayer, and sanctuary. And with that, we've begun to build our home, the home of our life. And the beating heart comes real in the center of the home. And that I look of as a as the great triple breath blessing, as a triangular star that's shining forth. And the, the three aspects of the triple blessing are our spirituality, our purpose, and our psychic ability. 
because those four cornerstones on self on a basis of self love awaken our psychic ability when we're using our clairvoyance center through our dream interpretation and we are reaching for the highest good through our prayer and when we are meditating and allowing ourselves to clear our minds and be open to listening to our highest good and when we're doing all of that in our sanctuary a safe place where we can process our lives and come to know ourselves better we really do begin to develop our psychic ability and we simultaneously find and embrace our purpose and as well we can't help but grow our spirituality and our spirituality is really interesting it's sort of like the guard at the gate it you know it doesn't allow us to go any further than we're ready to go and so our psychic ability will never really develop further than we are ready to hold with our spiritual awareness and with our purpose in life and as that great triple blessing gets beating in the heart of our home it begins to shine its light out through the doors and the windows and the walls are our good boundaries they are like the boundaries of our lives where we know when to say no and not just respond with oh sure i'm available yes i'll do it as i was conditioned as a young person but to have our boundaries in life then that lets the our door open and our our life begin to be formed and to live and to express our life with our egos in balance with our awareness and that together forms the roof on the house which is our transcendent life the self-actualized life the life that we were really meant to live the life full of joy and self-fulfillment and so mm. that, that's the teaching that Lovely. i was it sounds like uh, it sounds a lot like the the hero or heroine's journey that joseph campbell initiated and in you know leaving the known and going into the underworld of the subconscious and developing that inner world and then coming out from that inner world with the the pearl, if you will, or the gifts that you bring back to humanity as your service, as your contribution. And I feel like we've really come full circle in our topic of conscious awakening and uh, feminine leadership because these are the the steps, the, the recipe that you've laid out for developing the foundation of core stability that's required to step up as a leader is to have the psychic ability, the instincts, and the grounded foundation of all those four corners of practice and development to fine-tune and and train others that are coming to you for leadership into a core stability of their own so that they can take what they're gleaning, the wisdom that's coming from within them and from within the community out into the world and anchor that in a way that is developing another field of influence and support and leadership with the same values. And there's this network that gets formed with these uh, principles of communion that is really what people are hungry for, I feel, in, in the world because we've been so conditioned towards separation. And in following that agenda, we feel disconnected and uh, really seeking to reconnect with a sense of belonging and and we first have to belong to ourselves and to our own environment in a way that is nourishing and creates beauty so that we can do the same as we move out into the world and offer ourselves with those boundaries that you mentioned I find so, so important because without that then it's not sustainable and we get depleted easily so 
when we know how to nurture ourselves and replenish ourselves, then we're ready to um, support and replenish others and teach them how to do that for themselves. So I feel really great about what we've been able to hold space for in our conversation today, and I'm excited for those that are listening to take it in and apply it and maybe send us some feedback through Josephine's website or through the WIND Network to just let us know you tuned in and how it impacted you, what ideas you have and contributions you might add to this conversation for future topics. And I would love to have you kind of give us a little closing blessing, Josephine, and any last words you have. Thank you so very much. And that was a beautiful way to round us off today, Cindy. And yeah, like those imaginal cells, we are each um, creating the new body of our human awareness and our universal consciousness. And so I'll just leave you with this one last uh, little thought of what I call my three precepts, which are to ask within and to trust the universe and stay in your joy. I think that with those three precepts, we can really create lives that we love and lives that will be loved by all and shared by all. And so in closing, I'll just uh, leave with a little blessing that my mentor and teacher, Jana Massey, gave to me as she did our opening blessing, which is this one is that as our gifts are given in love, they are received in love. We honor their wise use and their increase for all concerned. So it is, and I thank you so much for the gift of your time in listening today. And bless you all. Mm, and so it is. And so it is. Thank you. Thanks, Cindy. Thank it's you. been lovely. <laughs> yeah, that's been what a treat. My, I'm mm. smiling Me ear too. to ear. I feel the, I feel thank the joy you. and love to everyone. Hope okay. to hear from you. Yeah. Bye now. Until next time. Bye bye. <laughs>